You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe Podcast, the Grolix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music Showcase, and more. We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogues, Snake Rattle Rattlesnake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy. And a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal Pete's. We're more than just a restaurant. So, let us put our food... And music... And comedy... And sports... Inside you. Please. Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 I'm from Denver, 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 Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a periodical podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado the largest arts collective between Omaha and Salt Lake. I'm Josh Johnson, and back at the end of July, which feels like years ago now, I had Tomas Herrera and Wild Rose Hamilton from No Coast Artists in Fort Collins over my house to talk about Wednesday. No, not Wednesday, as in the day of the week. Tomas and Wild Rose, along with dozens and dozens of FOCO artists, released Wednesday, a feature-length film on August 9th. The movie's actors, writers, editors, producers, financial backers, soundtrack bands, and score composer all live, breathe, drink beer, and ride bikes in Fort Collins. On September 6th, the film will make its Denver debut at the Sci Film Center here in Denver, and it plans on a run of at least a week, so you have some time to go check it out. Let's hear a little of what we talked about. How are we doing, guys? Really good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that was a really well-written intro. Yeah. It took me like three hours. <laughs> so you guys comfortable? Yeah. I'm pretty comfortable. Need anything? We're all good? I might get another beer at some point. Yeah, you're welcome <laughs> to do that. Yeah. So briefly, uh, either of you, tell me uh, about Wednesday. Give me the spiel. The spiel? The spiel. Do it. Okay, so <clears throat> Wednesday started off at a cafe in Fort Collins. Ben Mosier, the owner of the Lyric, um, sat down with me and... I smoked half a pack of cigarettes and drank like 40 ounces of coffee. And he just kept, because I couldn't talk, he just was talking the whole time. So I was just (laughs) consuming coffee and cigarettes while he was talking to me. And he said um, that he wanted to make a movie because he was seeing this real, like this shift happening in the movie industry where uh, he knew he was going to have to convert his theater to digital cinema, mm-hmm. and the studios were kind of conspiring to like get a lockdown on what movies were going to be able to be seen. And he was like, "Fuck that! We should make our own movies, and then that way we can entertain ourselves and have our own kind of film culture, and we're not beholden to what the studios decide to do." Right, and he had to, he did a Kickstarter campaign to raise money to do the conversion, right? Right. Whereas like. I forget. There's there's some of the historic theaters in Colorado have had to shut down. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, and he was super successful. Like, he started the Lyric pretty much not knowing anything about how to run a theater. Right. And it was horrible for, like, five years. It was the worst theater in Fort Collins. You'd go and... <laughs> I'll admit, I haven't been there, and <laughs> yeah. I was there in the first or second year and, and had a really bad experience. Yeah, yeah, that's most people's story. I was trying to explain to the projector guy that it wasn't uh, in focus, yeah, and he would come in for a second and look at it and go, "No, it's fine." 
and I'm getting a headache. Yeah. You know, like I feel like I need glasses to watch this. Yeah, it's true. It was it was not a good theater right. going experience. And but their line now. was all fucked up and you'd like no there wasn't really even a line. It'd just sort of be a pool of people that would gather in the lobby and then maybe you got a ticket and maybe you got a drink and then you went in and bad sound and bad picture and over the years he's just been kind of improving on it. You yeah. Know, like making it um, better and his employees have come in and really taken ownership of the place and like um, stepped up to to improve the experience so um, he started doing these things called Billingsgate Ball which was like a, a cultural um, exchange of artists and poets and musicians and um, short filmmakers and stuff like that that would happen on Thursdays and through that he was like I want to make a movie I want to start producing our own features and I've got this idea and like a true businessman, he's like, the, the best thing we could do is make a movie about bikes because Fort Collins loves fucking bikes. And right. that would be... And beer. Yeah, yeah, and beer. And so he, he was very much about like wanting to make a film that would resonate with the culture of Fort Collins. Right. <clears throat> so he said, I want to make this bike movie. And my idea was, well, if you're expecting me to make this all by myself, I can't commit to that. <laughs> like, I appreciate you trusting me and wanting me to make this movie with you, but I think we should get a bunch of people together and maybe make like episodics about this bicycle, like little sort of creep show style or vignette style, mm-hmm. you know, four rooms, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Each director takes a small portion of the movie and makes that and then smoosh it all together. And so from that conversation, we ended up like bringing in people we thought would be interested in it and um, loosely wrote a story about this bicycle and um, then spent a year making it. Um, I, I've heard you refer to it as a high comedy. What, what the hell is a high comedy? Did I say that? Somebody did. When I was up talking to you guys about, about it, someone was like, it's a high comedy. Hmm. I can, I can venture a guess. Okay, venture a <laughs> guess. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what that means. I don't remember saying that. But if I did say it, I think what I would be thinking is that um, the the comedy that we try to get out of the film or whatever is layered, multi-layered. Like, there's just the really simple, like, visual gags or, you know, silly puns yeah. and stuff like that. But then we also have kind of embedded within the film, like, these really specific jokes that are self-referential and have, uh, that are specific to the movie itself. But then in the broader scope, like if you're from Fort Collins or Colorado or whatever, you're going to get, I, I think, a lot of what's going on based on just knowing the culture. Like, we have characters in the film that, like, for instance, Darren Mahirin, who is a uh, <clears throat> photographer in town, sort of famous, I guess. In Fort the, Collins famous. Yeah, that's Collins what I famous. used to call it. Yeah, he's Fort Collins famous. Yeah. And uh, he plays um, a New Belgium tour guide. So the, the whole experience of that whole scene or whatever is just this kind of in-joke for anybody who knows Darren, anybody who's familiar with the tours at New Belgium and everything. So there's those kinds of... Um, levels of comedy or whatever sure. that exist. Yeah. But um, at the end of the film, it kind of becomes more, I think, I don't know, what would you say, Wild? Like, not so much a comedy anymore, but more of like a reflective, meditative, kind of quieter process. Well, then it goes right back to being and then it, yeah. fucking hilarious. And we toss some at more comedy end. back in. Yeah. You, you got to stay through the credits to really get the best joke. Yeah. What did each of you do? What, what were your roles? Go ahead, film. Let's see. So I, my involvement with this started, I guess I had heard about the movie from Ben years and years before it happened, he mm-hmm. said. 
because I, I was doing art for him. I was part of Billing Skateball, you know, drawing on the walls during these parties. And he met me while I was doing live art. He said, you have to hang some art at the Lyric. So I did. And he said, you have to be a part of my movie. I'm going to make a movie. And he told me about this movie. And, you know, no one would get paid on the first one. And we just use capital to make the next movie. And it would be this wonderful scene that we would create in Fort Collins because we have to focus on local things. And he was just saying this to me. And I was like, I don't think that what you're saying really lines up with how people are. I, I don't think you're going to be able to get this group of professionals to put that much time in or semi-professionals or anyone to put that much harder time into something they're not getting paid for. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a movie. Like, what's your movie, man? And so I, a couple of years later, ran into Ben on the street and he said, hey, we're having a meeting downstairs at the new gallery, which was the gallery, uh, kind of an experience venue, music venue that Tomas ran with his friend Branton. And it was actually the first meeting of the cast and crew. And I was sitting there just listening to this story. And my first experience with it was Tomas telling this really intricate and in, like it was really engaging and beautiful and different. And I was sold instantly. And I realized I wanted to be a part of this. And Doug Usher, who did our incredibly beautiful cinematography, most of it, he was there too, and Ben was there. Joe Guido, who pa- who plays Joe Panda, was there, and he has beautiful locks, so of course I wanted to be around there and, and touch them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I started out just as the girl in the room, and I didn't say anything in that meeting. And the girl who was supposed to uh, play the part that I ended up playing wasn't able to make it to this first cast meeting. And so I kind of took notes and I was looking around and, you know, eventually she was like, I'm overcommitted and she wasn't getting back to people. And they're like, okay, well, can you do this? And I was like, yeah, 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 I can do it. And they said, you can, you can do costumes. You can, you know, do direction on things and and then you can, you can act in it because I got my degree in fashion design. So it seemed to be a, a natural thing. But at the beginning, it was kind of just taking notes and Script supervising is the nice word for having a notebook. Sure, right. Yeah. So <laughs> my role in it started out, you know, supervising the script, kind of giving moral support. Then I was an actor and helped with costumes, although I think Ben really did a lot of that too. Yeah. Uh, my mom ended up making the iconic panda that we use. My mom <laughs> makes stuffed animal trophy heads for a living. They're called Shut big up. game trophies. They're like... Uh, it's not taxidermy. It's not taxidermy. But I've it's a puppet this. that looks like a taxidermy. And it's animal. mounted on the wall? Yeah. John Dicker, who it's started life this podcast, size. he has a whole room full of them. You're kidding. She said... Yeah. So wow. she's the only one who makes those now. She fired all her employees wow. like years ago. And so she makes these all by hand in our house. And like you can take them off the wall and put your hand inside them and make the elephant's trunk go up and things like that. So Try to make the elephant's trunk go up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just as enticing as it sounds. Yeah. So I called in a favor for her. And she made the panda <laughs> and head. And she made the panda yeah. head, and she brought it to us at Tour de Fat. Yeah. And she made the whole panda. She made the whole panda, and she was, she was like, oh, it's so, it's so dorky. I, I hope it's okay. Like, and then it just turned into this thing that we kept using, and it's this great sort of trope in the movie where it's both a, a real character, but also someone who is in bizarre places at a bizarre time and affects the plot. Yeah, it's, well, it's, diffi- it's difficult to also, and I've screened this movie, to do a, a plot summary because it's, um, A, it'll immediately give away too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And B, um, it's it's not, its narrative isn't necessarily straightforward. 
right or beating you over the head you know it's um has an unpredictability and it's it's kind of absurd yeah yeah in some ways so that was one thing that was (laughs) kind of really early on this um chaos i like to say became our muse like the the energy or whatever of the film really kind of came about from a lot of people running around not knowing what was going to happen next but just jumping into whatever was happening right and um it was when we first kind of outlined the concept of the bike and what the bike was about and everything i was like i'm really tired of like the stories about good versus evil and these morality plays and you know romance and all this stuff and i I just want to figure out, like, what can this bike represent or what can this bike be about? And um, we, we decided it was like luck, that, that the bike is somehow lucky. And that was sort of the jumping off point for everything that happens in the movie comes from just dumb luck or good luck or bad luck. And um, so I was like, sweet, we're going to do this. We're going to make this movie. It's going to be about this lucky bike. And green is always, you know, associated luck of the Irish, that kind of stuff. So um, the uh, the, bu- the bike was this bamboo bike that um, Panda Bicycles made and it had this beautiful green trim on it and everything. And so it was almost like we had talked about all of this and then strangely, coincidentally, this bike was already being made or in the process of being made. And um, so that was an interesting little coincidence. Well, that after that uh, weekend, it was June 9th. It was my mom's birthday, and it was the day that the Hyde Park fire started. Mm -hmm. And I drove up to my parents' ranch up in the Buckhorn Canyon, which was, like, just a few acres away from where this fire was exploding. And we're having cake and, like, opening presents, and this big plume of smoke just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And my uncle, who lives in Lyons, he um, said, hey, I want to show you something, and he Um, took me around to the garage and he's like, I was at my, um, neighborhood swap meet, which is really just like a big garbage dump where everybody comes together to throw stuff away. He's like, I came across this bicycle I wanted to show you. I think Jack would like it. Jack's my kid. Uh And, uh, he pulls this green bicycle out of the garage and written on the side of the bike is the word chaos. (laughs) (laughs) And so from there I was like, all right, we're on the right. We're on the right track. They're called breadcrumbs, according to Tomas. Yeah, so There's, I would just follow those breadcrumbs. And yeah. we got a lot of them at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, a lot of... Yeah, a lot of breadcrumbs. We. Yeah, um, it was... Little clues that were like, this is the right path, this is a good part of the story. They're always there if you look for them. That's true. I think everyone People was look looking for them. for them, and that's People what want luck when you, is. Yeah, when you yeah. want it, you're, you're, you're looking for those things, and... Right. Otherwise, you're just sort of oblivious. And that's kind of somebody what... takes care of their car. Yeah. I mean, I can get us a beer in the meantime. I don't know how you guys are doing. Yeah. I have the. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic. Um, so no, no coast. That's that's what this group of people. That's what you're you're calling yourselves. Yep. And is is it is it, would you call it a collective? Artist collective. Yeah. Production company, but I think overall, what we want to do is make NOCO something that everyone can do their art through and right. have like that, you know. So it's not necessarily working on single projects. Right. Yeah. Right. Although, it, yeah, we anticipate doing another movie, more shorts, more more projects together. But every single person involved in this is an artist in their other life as well. Sure. So. How did you make decisions with such a group, group of people, large group of people? You say, I'm going to do this, and everyone says, thank God you're doing it. 
I didn't really want to do that. It was that. really agreeable. There were no arguments. You're lying. Well, there were never really any arguments or... Someone has to have the ego. Someone was like, I just have this vision. No. Not saying there's no ego. Yeah. I'm not think, saying there's no arguments. But go I, ahead. I think it's that we're all so insecure that nobody <laughs> nobody was like, no, this is my... Everybody's like, I don't know. My feelings are hurt. <laughs> there's no official director or producer. Like, yeah, yeah right. Him. And that's, that's what I'm there getting was, at. There was you know? no script writer. Yeah. Most of the lines were improvised mm -hmm. by the actors. Really? Yes. Wow. I would say... How do you maintain consistency overall in a... In a what, it's in a feature length. We shot product. 50 hours of footage. You could have made any movie out of you this. You could have. They yeah. edited it to the things that were consistent as my interpretation. So the editor had the worst job. Yeah. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. best. I What I really like about editing is that it is sort of like the final script. You're writing the film finally. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that part was really cool to be able to... Um, ben Mosier and I spent probably the majority of the time sketching it out, writing the first draft... And then Doug Usher came in and polished everything. And right. then um, the sound guys came in and then just, like, enhanced it all. Right. So it's it's been, a, I guess, the, the best kind of collaborative emergent piece that I've been able to be a part of. Yeah, because, um, and that's great. But, and, and really, that's, that's a, a big ways what's remarkable about it. Because the, uh, I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. Having that many people involved, it sounds like a clusterfuck headache. Um, the hurt, the hardest part is getting us there on time and starting on yeah, time. Yeah, right. Yeah. We, right. And, we and a, remaining focused. Right. That's always hard. Actually having enough batteries was a huge issue, too. Yeah, we lost yeah. batteries a lot. Uh -huh. Well, the cool thing, too, is that a lot of the people <laughs> just sort of trusted that what was happening was going to be okay. I mean, we've got a music video kind of bit in the movie called Super Touch, mm -hmm. and it's this... Sort of, you know, um, sensual. Yeah, it's a what we've dubbed now the Bentage. Because yeah. <laughs> Ben's always like, I just want to put together like you know these overlapping images and then these sounds, and we'll just, you know, just sort of fold it in like a tapestry, you know, like a patchwork, like quilt. a patchwork quilt. Came up a lot. <laughs> yes. And so we made this um, super touch video, but while we were doing it, I remember Jason, who plays one of the Brahmin brothers, was really nervous, like. Because he doesn't think that, like, um, that this style of comedy of, um, you know, joking around with uh, homoerotic sensuality, he's like, I just don't think that's funny. I don't think that it's a funny thing. I think that it's dumb. I think that it's super base and that there's nothing redeeming about that at all. So he was really nervous to be, like, doing this scene because he's like, I don't know where the edge is on like what we're exactly saying or what we're making fun of. And so he he willingly went along with it and trusted us. And when we just did the um, cast and crew screening, like it was probably one of the biggest moments in the film, you know, like just people really, really responded to it. Yeah. So I, I, I really was happy that like he was able to get past whatever was holding him up in the process of you know, feeling insecure about that and trusting us that we weren't... Because I think one of his fears is that, like, everybody's just setting him up to look like a gigantic fool. Which you did, and it worked. And we totally nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he saw that we were doing it from a benign, from a good place. From a place of love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That we're, we're just being goofy and absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what are your hopes for this film? Netflix. That it premieres on August 9th. 
That's my hope. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If if we get a cool premiere on August 9th and a fun party and I wake up the next day and um, I, I'm not too hungover, then... Those are modest hopes. Success! <laughs> yeah, yes. I, think I think you're going to achieve it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to set the bar real achievable right. for myself these days. And Wilds, what do you want? Do you want start? Do you want to be a starlet? Um, Move to Hollywood. No, screw what, see, that's the point of No Coast. <laughs> it started as like, why is every you know a lot of people spent their time in New York, LA. I think the goal is just like, can we just stay where we can afford, where I don't touch my skin at night and it rolls off in dirt, and where the people aren't terrible, and I don't have to buy a fridge when I go into my rented apartment. You know, can I just make art here and make a living out you of can, it? You can, but you won't be a star. I hope I'm not breaking your heart. It's it's uh I think that's all right. It's for not me really personally. an issue. This has yeah. been so cool. Um, sure. So yeah, the joke. Yeah, let's just have it on Netflix. Let's have this able so we can be like, yeah, you can watch my film. It's just over there. Um, yeah. And I think there are a lot of kind of in jokes. There are mm-hmm. a lot of uh, there are some discrepancies that we're aware of that are pretty funny as well. Be, it would be fun for this to be sort of a. Even if it's just four columns, just a cult hit. Yeah. yeah. I think it's cool. It's like a like yeah. a love letter to our town. It is, isn't it? And it doesn't yeah. it doesn't necessarily come off like something the convention visitor bureau's gonna right. shop around. It's not that bad. Yeah. But it, it uh it's it's funny because this you know, listening to you guys talk about it, it's it's uh it's like everybody was involved and everybody got along and we just wanna have a good time with the release and doesn't matter if we're a star. It just sounds so idealized. Yeah. I mean, kind of is. Isn't uh, Fort Collins a little Fort Collins, Shangri-La? Fort Collins <laughs> is a perfect town. And that's sort of, I mean, <laughs> it Aside is. from the train through the middle of the city, yeah. But it's charming. It's, yeah, it the can be. The like, I mean, really, I think that it's, um, there's a lot of people, artists or whatever, who I think make art out of necessity because there's some sort of like great deal of suffering or um, oppression that they're working against. Yeah. And I think that what's weird about Fort Collins is that there really isn't that much in my sphere of people that are truly suffering. Like I know kids that are homeless that because they choose to be and they're just, they want to be experiencing They're gutter rats. They're not homeless. Right, right. They're anarchists. Yeah, the anarchist movement and everything. Um, what I think maybe is could happen from Fort Collins is because all of our basic needs are met, because we have so much um, abundance and resource yeah. there, that we could use that as an opportunity to like pivot and shift into a mode of being that could go larger, that people could start to recognize this underlying reality that um, through agreement and participation and cooperation with one another that you can actually achieve these states of being that aren't as uh, strife, uh, ridden with strife. Do either of you know um, any of the history of film in Fort Collins? Like, what films were made? We have, there was Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which wasn't made in Fort Collins, but he's famous for being born in Fort Collins. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, he's famous for being in Napoleon Dynamite. I don't think... Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I meant in Fort Collins. Yeah. He's like, it's, oh, Napoleon Dynamite. Everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, for cons, it's it's uh, people have been making films there fairly mm-hmm. regularly for years. Yeah, right. I mean, in this kind of, I mean, Brian Simpson, who's in the movie as well and mm-hmm. works in the Belgium. I remember the first Four Collins film I saw was his debut of Billy Brown's Hawks. Yeah, you know, which was also in, involved the bike. Yeah, 
you know? Yeah. And uh, what other films have been made in Fort Collins? Well, uh, I know that there's been a lot of people who um, have made films and then they didn't really go anywhere. Like, yeah, of course. I made a movie right, <laughs> that right. didn't ever go anywhere <laughs> right. um, from Fort Collins. But I think like 800 people saw it at the Laurie Student Center. That's a lot. Yeah, and that was cool. You know, but that's more than my band. Yeah, total yeah. The whole career ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I reached a level of Fort Collins B list famous from right. <laughs> that experience. Right. Um, but I think that what happens is like the people who really want to make a go at it, if they do make a film in Fort Collins, they usually leave and go somewhere else. And um, even like Derek C in France is from Denver. His first film, I can't remember what it was called. It's like Brother something, Brother Tied, I think. And um, I remember when that came out, I was like, wow, he got into Sundance and, like, it's this big deal and everything. And I went and saw the movie and it was kind of boring. And I was really young at the time, too. I think I was, like, 16 or 17 and wasn't that impressed with it. And then later, you know, he moved to New York and starts making, like, Blue Valentine and um, what was that newer one with Ryan Gosling, the other one he made. But anyway, you know, like, went somewhere else to go make films because... Um, there wasn't really a scene here. Which is what you're referring to in No Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Is all these guys that are talented and have cool ideas and stuff that move to other places. Yeah. So the film scene hasn't really, really taken off. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I probably am like a total asshole because I don't know what's been going on in Fort Collins as far as what movies are being made. But it seems like a lot of low-budget independent films usually become like zombie movies or... Um, you know, like m- mumblecore films that aren't. What is that mumblecore? Uh, it's a. Uh, I think the term refers to like movies that are really quiet and the characters just talk like this all the time. You can't really understand <laughs> what they're saying. It's like the Connor Oberst of film. It's like um, David Gordon Green's early movies, like uh, George Washington and Undertow and uh, all the real girls. Mumblecore. Mumblecore films, yeah, but. Um, you know, we kind of, I think, set out to make a entertaining summer blockbuster for, right. for a local market. Right, yeah. Yeah. right. What do you think you guys learned most? As artists, not necessarily as filmmakers or as people. After mm-hmm. effects. <laughs> what do you mean by that? So you asked me what I, my involvement was, and I forgot mm-hmm. to mention a big thing that I did was I, I did a, a two-minute animation for the film, of, and I decided to do a frame-by-frame hand-drawn animation because... I didn't know Flash. I didn't know After Effects. And sure. But so she knows how to draw. I know how yeah. to draw like a motherfucker. So yeah. it was just like I have these stacks and stacks and stacks of paper, and I just traced them, and I – or not traced them. You know, I scanned them. I put them into Photoshop and got around – and tried to make this animation in Photoshop and discovered that I had to learn new software. So oh. in a fairly practical way, I would say that I – um, Dave Myers, who did our beautiful mm-hmm. special effects, we we actually have special effects in this wow. film, which is really That's cool. That's spelled EFX. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. I think we learned to make decisions as well. Like Tomas said, none of us want to really infringe on each other's creativity or ideas. But I think when there's so much to do, especially mm-hmm. in post production, when we didn't really give ourselves, you know, the many years we probably needed to perfect it, instead gave ourselves about two months to really get it done you just have to make decisions tell people this is what's going on and and proceed right and do it i hate to say this i don't know that i learned 
anything. Anything. Wow. I, I feel almost... You arrogant son of a bitch. I do. I feel arrogant about that. Well, the thing is, is that I, I think I learned appreciation, actually. If I were to say what I did learn was gratitude um, it, and humility and those sorts of things. So maybe that's the hilarious thing about this arrogant statement is that I'm, I had learned... Uh, <laughs> You know, humility. There, there was like so many things that we did wrong in the movie, making the movie. Like when we shot um, Wild and I scene, we had these two different camera setups. We didn't balance the color correctly. We were shooting at different times a day. Over the, the course of a week. Yeah, the yeah. audio was terrible. Like, and because of that, we really had to rely on the talents of Doug for his color correction skills to smooth that out. On Ben for his. Uh, studio recording skills to smooth that out like we just sort of like put a bunch of garbage into a bike into a box into a bike into a box and then handed it over to these other guys and we're like can you polish this up for us i mean we were kind of careless and we just figured you could fix it in post Mm -hmm. and even with a lot of the special effects like (laughs) i asked dave to do some really incredible things and he's like if you guys had taken 10 minutes to just put a mat up on that screen, it would have saved me 20 hours of having to rotoscope out uh. all of this stuff, <laughs> you know. So that really was humbling in that, like, because of our lack of preparation or planning or foresight or whatever and just sort of burdening other people with, you know, helping make this a, be- a better m- movie, I just um, got a, a much greater appreciation of how the world works is that, you know, we all can carry as much as we can carry, and then sometimes other people are picking up our baggage and helping us get down the mountain or up the mountain or Barbara Brahman. Yeah. Did you have problems uh, getting people motivated and committed? In the since beginning, you, Since yeah. you're asking them to do something that's entirely volunteer? Yeah, definitely. In the beginning, that was the thing, is that I think, like you said, that people were like, is this really ever going to even get done? No. Like, like I don't know if this is going to happen. And what jump-started it, I think, is that Doug left for China. Everybody else was kind of doing their own thing. So pretty much you, me, and Ben, like, got together the month of September and shot a ton of stuff. So we had gotten, like, you know, um, a lot of the movie kind of shot while Doug was away. And then he came back and he's like, oh, wow, you guys are actually making this movie. Sweet. I'm in. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's get back on board. How much How much did it cost to make? Um, like, yeah. real money actually cashed yeah, out of sense. funds? Yeah. Before we count, like, marketing for planning our our Really premiere party, party yeah. it's it was about four or five thousand dollars yeah that's so, cheap it's super, super cheap. cheap most of that did was you pass food. around a hat is that <laughs> you the, know the, once the, again the, i know we keep talking about it he's almost fundraising? here it was ben mm-hmm. ben Mosier. yeah just funded it out of pocket so nice yeah he was our he's our sugar daddy yeah, yeah. and then we'll be his once this uh well and to be fair like doug usher has probably seventy thousand dollars worth of film equipment so he, right, you didn't have to buy anything. Right, we didn't have to go out and rent gear or anything. Like right, that. I've got some equipment as well. So right, yeah. Any yeah. any ideas for a next um, no coast? There are movie? a lot being bandied about. We've bandied had about. bandied about. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about doing a prequel called Choose Day, as in Choose Your Own Adventure Day. But I think that's just more fun to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about doing something weed related because we live in such a valley of weed. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. That was, uh, and we've talked about doing a musical. Mm-hmm. We've talked about doing a musical featuring a lot of local Fort Collins bands in a western style. Mm. I don't know. What would you like to see from No Coast? Porn. As 
porn. We dude. have talked about doing dude. burlesque thing. Burlesque, dude. Right? No? Burlesque is dancing. I'm talking porn. I'm not even joking. <laughs> this is not even a joke. Yeah. I really seriously want to make nonfiction erotica. Right. Which is porn. Yeah. You know, like in kind of. We're going to take a quick break and listen to some goth, goth hip-hop from Denver. This is Black Hearts remixing a Crystal Castle song. Be right back. Black Hearts. So close to feel it. Go wild out, nigga. Open season. When it stop, pours down. I just hope it's here. Uh, yeah, be the host of greed. And when the malls mount down to a god that evening, put the landmarks out. Tell it all in secret. I just wanna watch a nigga wash and clean. It's the fire this time, so we brought the heat. Let's go. Horsemen, swords, all sorts of cleavers. Fire on the speakers, blood on the reapers. Uh, yeah, nigga, nice to meet you. It's Black Hawk down, nigga, Mogadishu. It's Mushroom Cloud, nigga, Hiroshima. Draw this bitch out, make a Mona Lisa. Who the song is about? She from Ipanema. And this war now, like Iwo Jima, North Korea.
That was Denver's Black Hearts, which is spelled B-L-K-H-R-T-S. That was their take on Crystal Castle's song, Wrath of God. We are back with Wild Rose and Tomas. Wild Rose, I have to ask, that's that's your... That's my real name. Yeah. Yeah, it's one word. I held off as long as I could. <laughs> that's okay. This is what I get asked every day. So, yeah, yeah I'm Wild sure. Rose. I'm sure, and that's why I held off. <laughs> real name, one word. Yes, I'm from Boulder, but no, my parents aren't hippies. They may have been if they were in the right place in time, but my parents are British. My dad came up with my name because he just wanted to call me Wild. My older sister, Liberty, wanted to name me Rosie, and they collaborated. When yeah. I first heard Wild Rose and saw her art, I thought she was an 80-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> went by the name Wild Rose. Right. But that would be like a post-third divorce name change. Yes, that's, what I, that's totally. who I imagined. You're I like, know. I really need to separate myself from the first 50 years of my life, so I'm going to change my name to Wild Rose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is bad. a time in the show uh, that we call Love and Hate. This is where we love on or hate on <laughs> something uh, Denver-related. Yeah. All right. Tomas, what do you got? I'm in a love on Denver because I'm in a loving mood. Yeah? Yeah. I just love the the cleanliness of the air here. It's <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's so facetious. It's so rich with um uh a a brightness to it. I don't know what it what it is that you guys put in the air. You don't have this it's in Fort Collins. Nice. No, Fort Collins is very smoggy. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why, but it's. I think it's because we're in a valley. We're a little bit lower, so yeah. the wind just swoops all of the filth into Fort Collins. It's probably our filth. It's probably I, Denver's filth. I think so. So Are that's you, also you're why welcome. I, th- I appreciate you yeah. guys keeping it clean here right. in Denver, Colorado. Wild. So this is going to seem so silly and trivial, but I used to come down to just about around this area a couple years ago. I had a friend down here. And I would always go past Humboldt Street, mm-hmm. and I just every time I see it, I love it because it was uh, my favorite cheese, Humboldt Fog. And so, like coming through this part of Denver, you know, so you like Humboldt Street. Humboldt Street. I like the name Humboldt Street. And yeah. then I I like this whole little area with Vine and Gaylord and High. I think it has some hilarious names, and they fit so well together. And uh, I'll second that. I yeah. love coal. You like coal? Like That's coal. where we're recording from. Is yeah. Coal. So. Yeah. I like this neighborhood. Humboldt Thanks. Street. I know it seems trivial, but Thanks. there you go. I'm going to love on, speaking of coal, a, uh, the Chihuahua um, ice cream cart that comes by my house like five times a day. And they're $1.50 um, Mexi Pops, we call them. I hope, I hope that that's respectful. And they're made in Denver, and you can get um, like mango chili, banana, and there's these just frozen ice pops, and they come around jingle, jingle, jingle. I don't know if you guys have them, but Bruce Randolph and um, Downing, they have a shop there. That's where they're headquartered out of, and you can go to the ice cream shop on the corner there and get them if they don't come through your neighborhood. Well, that's all the love and hate we have for this week. If you'd like to share a little of your own love and hate, please leave us a brief message at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. Our theme music is by T.J. Miller from his extended play EP, and our web hosting is provided by BlueChannel.com. For more information about Denver Diatribe or any of our guests, check out our website, DenverDiatribe.com, or search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Josh. On behalf of our guests, the birds at the words Denver, high average income, we're like big spenders, affordable housing.
obesity, no need for suspenders. 